welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Welcome to this week's podcast, the first post Rishi's budget and not as good as we'd maybe like but certainly better than it could have been. VAT, rates, furlough, duty, all helpful but not perfect. Still, nothing on rent that I've seen. But we tentatively hurtle towards a reopening date and I hope your plans are coming on well, whether that be opening a venue or simply looking forward to enjoying a beer with a mate. Now, This week's episode was a wonderful treat for me. Unusually, we recorded this one with my golden retriever Jasper whilst giving him a walk around a 130-acre country estate. But more importantly, I was joined by Darren Venables, the estate manager at the Chewton Glen Hotel down in the New Forest in Hampshire. Darren has been working at the Chewton Glen for over 30 years, so really has seen a huge amount of change. And as far as the grounds are concerned, he has curated much of that change himself. And our wide-ranging conversation typifies the reason for setting up this podcast, to shine a spotlight on what happens behind the scenes of hospitality. So much that the public never get to hear about, or even imagine, is fundamentally supported by the hospitality trade. Developing an orchard of 250 of the rarest trees in the country, perhaps, or breeding your own queen bees, or surveying wildlife on an annual basis, or attracting a wider species of birds into a habitat for the first time in decades, to growing food for a cookery school, to planting Christmas trees, and so much more. I just hope that conversations like these open your mind as to how much awesomeness the independent hospitality sector is responsible for. And remember, where you decide to spend your cash in supporting these genuinely small and hospitable businesses really makes a difference to the type of world we are all going to live in. Less dominated by the bean counter international chains and more diverse and richer for humanity and the environment. And I know I say this every week, but it seems not all of you have done it yet. And that's please pick up the device you're listening on, hit subscribe and rate and review the podcast. You click on five stars, say something nice, and the robots pick it up and show it to a few more people. And then more people listen, and then I can attract more guests, and the great circle of happiness continues. And if you won't do it for me, do it for Jasper who really would appreciate another lovely stroll around a closed country estate. Thanks, and let's get over and meet Darren. Darren Venables, estate manager of the Chewton Glen Hotel. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated, and a bit of an unusual one for me because we're actually out, we're roving about. Uh, Can you just explain where in the world are we, Darren? Um, So we're in the kitchen garden of Chewton Glen. Uh, This is situated right in the middle of the estate. So... Uh, we have a 135 acre estate here. We have everything from a kitchen garden to a plant nursery. We have two orchards, we have a golf course. Um, we have sort of quite informal areas where we keep sheep and things. 
Uh, we have more formal gardens around the hotel. Uh, most of the rooms have uh, balconies on there with planting on. And then we obviously have our tree houses. So what we'll do is we'll start the tour here and then Amazing. we'll walk around and give you a bit of an insight as to Perfect. everything. As we yeah, go around. great. So yeah, so we're going to get an actual walking tour. So apologies to people if there's a little bit of wind and a little bit of background noise. Uh, but I think we should deserve some credit because it's like about, what is it? Is it zero degrees? <laughs> it's very cold. Even the <laughs> dog's looking cold. Yeah, Jasper the dog is with us. I think it was minus four last night and it's something like zero degrees. So we'll keep, uh, we'll keep walking um, as we go. So, so uh, as we walk down, so you've been here getting on towards or, or sort of 30 years with uh, a gap has it has yeah it, has it I changed a lot in that time or? it's changed an awful lot yeah I came here on the 26th of June 1989 as an apprentice and at the time we were a little uh, 35 bedroom uh, country house hotel uh, just with a golf course we didn't own half the land that we have now and then gradually we started sort of buying up land we built the spa we built the croquet wing we built the tree houses the cookery school um, and what's nice is I've been involved in all of those projects. Yeah. So um, must be must be amazing to have the sort of custodianship for that long a period of time, I suppose, and see yeah. it, see it develop. Um, we've got to, this Definitely. Is a, we, yeah. We're walking we're walking past those sheep, uh, and, yeah. and the dog is sort of avoiding it actually, which is good. So well, these this are is, our, this is awesome. These what, are our coloured rylands. Right. So um, we started having the sheep last year. We started bringing them on site, and the idea is we do sheep walking for our guests. So. <laughs> We've got 25 lambs due over the next few weeks and the idea is that the, the older sheep, we do sheep walking with them, with the guests, so like now where we're walking the dog, we just take a sheep instead. So, you, so as a guest you can borrow a sheep? We can borrow a sheep. We did, <laughs> so we did 250 sheep walking sessions really? in four months who, last who's, year. Who gets the most benefit, the human or the sheep? Who's, who's <laughs> yeah. that aimed at? It's very therapeutic, so humans really? love it. So. Uh, that's yes, awesome. Where did, that, where did that idea come from then? I've not heard of sheep. I actually did um, a llama walking once yeah. myself, and that was weird. Uh, but I've not heard of sheep walking. So what it was, it was during the first lockdown. Um, I bumped into Jane Wilder, who does all our events here. And we just basically said, what events can we do once we were open again? And we were trying to go through, because so many of the events we now can't do because of social distancing. And I just made a half-hearted comment about... I've always wanted to keep sheep at Chewton Glen and she'd all oh, my sister-in-law keep sheep so um, the rest is history <laughs> so the sheep are here now and then they're gradually expanding so um, yeah we'll gradually expand our flock of sheep they, over the next few years I, I can't I don't know why this has popped into my head then but I've got to ask are they sort of expanding of their own will or are you breeding them or do no they just, no do they just get on with it? are they like <laughs> rabbits I don't know. no no they're, they're expanding on their own free will um, we have a, a quite a, so the ram that um, that we have here he's a Dorset uh, sorry he's a, a prize winning ram and so these are all uh, pedigree sheep as well so these are all coloured rylands so yeah they're all pedigree sheep so um, yeah we know exactly who's been born to what so we've got twins due tomorrow and then we've got a uh, single sheep due on um, Saturday hang on hang on can you be that exact that they're due tomorrow Is yeah that yeah really? the, the Angie who looks after the sheep for us yeah she's very exact really everything. yeah wow so um I need to meet Angie how does she know <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I don't want to know no I you don't want to put my hand anywhere near <laughs> yeah. that uh, yeah. so what we'll do is we'll um we'll come this way so, this so what are some of the over, over that sort of 30 year period what are some of the bigger projects that you've been I think uh, the, the biggest with? one was the tree houses um because at the tree houses at the same time we did the kitchen garden uh we also built a new maintenance complex for us uh, and our maintenance department 
and uh, so I think that was definitely the biggest yeah. the biggest project. Okay. Well, we'll chat a bit about those when we get to them. Yeah. So um, we're going to be electrocuted by a so fence. So what so we'll we do, Mark, is we'll go and we'll, we'll go round the other way because the fence is here. But we're sat in the middle of our orchards at the moment. So this, this area here is our first orchard. So this is 200 trees. Um, so I had a, a landscape architect called Anne Soderberg design this for me. And she used to be a chef. And so... She basically put everything in groups of fours and sixes. So it's just quite a basic orchard, apples, pears and plums and that sort of thing. And just things, just to see if we would use it. And then subsequent to that, I then met a lady called Jennifer Williams, who just literally knocked on my office door one day and asked if she could pick some elderflower from the boundary. And I sort of said, why do <laughs> you like it? And she explained she made jams and jellies and syrups and things. So... Um, the relationship developed and she now goes on to make all our jams jellies syrups for the hotel with anything she can find and so when the hotel was 50 years old i approached andrew stembridge and asked if we could do a legacy project and he said yeah that would be amazing so we planted the heritage orchard behind so the fruit trees you can see behind are 250 of the rarest fruit trees that have ever been uh, that are around in uh, dorset hampshire and the isle of wight so there's apples, pears, plums in there, there's medlars, damsons, tayberries, chokeberries, you name it, that they're all there. There's only ones and twos of everything, but they're all extremely rare trees. Wow. So I had a, a chap called Andrew Howard who took me quite a bit of finding, but he specialises in really rare fruit trees and he helped me put the collection together. It took a year to source everything and then they all had to be grafted onto modern fruit stocks, uh, root stocks and grown on. And so, yeah, so what's nice is we now have a really, really rare collection of fruit trees. And, and what was the motivation for doing that then? Um, Specifically around, you know, the rare stuff. I think what it was is everyone was doing heritage orchards, but I wanted to do, like, the most significant collection around. Right. <laughs> you always want to be better than like everyone my else. My orchard's better than your orchard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. Um, I'm going to have a word with Raymond. He's got quite a nice orchard. Yeah, his, his yeah. orchard's fabulous. Yeah. But, you know... Well, no, yeah. ours is unique to Hampshire and Dorset and the Isle of Wight, so it's it's unique to this area. So, uh, you know, it, it isn't on the same scale as Raymond Blanc, and I wouldn't even pretend <laughs> it would be. Oh, it's too late, Darren. I'm going to just put the clip in. Where yeah, you tell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, for here, for this area, it is, a you know, I think the most significant collection of fruit trees for this area, okay. which and, is really good. And they really benefit this sort of cross-pollination. They need each other, don't Absolutely. they, to kind of, you know, to, to do their best. How, yeah. how does that work? Well, in the in the foreground, you'll see some of our uh, beehives there. So we have 70 beehives on the estate, so which we keep. Um, again, a friend of mine, Rob, keeps uh, 70 beehives here, produces all our own honey for the hotel and uh, honeycomb. And we're actually going to start doing beekeeping classes in the summer as well, once we open again. Can you walk your own bee? Yeah, <laughs> you need a small lead. <laughs> um, Maybe you can get a group of bees. Yeah. But it's really good because again, it, it all ties in with this trying to trying to give back and trying to create an ecosystem. Um, I think where all this stems from is, you know, my great grandfather was a gardener, and you know, I've heard stories of how he gardened, and you know, they had to be self-sufficient with everything. And I think it's really important to try and become like that again. So. Hence the reason for trying to do all these things and use every bit of the land. Yeah, so I love it. And what, what I really love about it, you know, this, this podcast is called The Humans of Hospitality because people have got no idea 
you know what what goes on behind the scenes absolutely and, and no. without this hotel here you know none of this would be happening and really no. you know it's kind of what's more important isn't it you're you're a custodian you're looking after the land and the hotel is facilitating that and not not everything you do i imagine comes you know directly from what benefits the customer no, it must absolutely. also be what benefits the land and the yeah absolutely and the nice thing is you know we have full backing of the owners to do that and you know andrew stembridge is is fully in conjunct uh, fully in you know on board with everything that we do and the nice thing is I generally just say to him, look, I'd like to do this. And he just says, yeah, carry on. So yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. So it's nice to have someone who sort of shares your beliefs as well. Amazing. Okay, great. Where are we heading? Right. <laughs> so let's go and head over to our plant nursery. Okay. Okay, Darren, where are we now? Um, so we're on our plant nursery now. And again, this is, you know, very much a sort of a, a back of house area, but we actively encourage guests to walk around and come and see what we're growing and how we're growing it and you know we do garden tours through here and honestly it's not out of the question that we get guests come and joining in if we're planting plants and helping us so um yeah amazing you, know, you really nice. do get the guests involved yeah you? yeah honestly um yeah. i would love that i'm not sure how my wife would feel if i came <laughs> and i was off walking sheep and uh, helping with the gardening it would be busman's holiday but i'd be very happy so just through the hedge there you can see some piles of what looks like christmas trees yeah so they're actually um they are christmas trees chopped up and they create like a, a habitat for sort of ground nesting birds and robins and um what we also do is we work with local hedgehog charities who when they get a glut of hedgehogs and they need some released they bring them here and we put like little houses in them um mm. and then they release the hedgehogs in there and we put food and things out for them as well i was so, only thinking recently that yeah. um you don't really see hedgehogs much anymore and I, no, I don't know absolutely. why it was in my head but is it, is it are they disappearing or? yeah yeah i mean they're definitely in decline and obviously we're keen here to encourage them because you know it, it helps with our slug control so it does a job for us so we're very very keen on it so so we work with various uh, vets and things and they know whenever they get them to, to bring them to us which is really good that's so you, that's uh you used to get them in your gardens and stuff i remember as a kid does that that doesn't happen much it anymore sadly so doesn't no town. i mean we see them here we do get them here mm. um but nowhere near as much as we used to mm. so um what's yeah. nice is you know you do still see them. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through our polytunnels now and I'll explain what Perfect. we normally grow in them. Can so, I, Can I just ask, just before we do, sorry, just because yep. you just mentioned Christmas, so you do a huge amount around Christmas. We do. Um, and, and I saw this year, I was seeing the, the old trees, and funny enough, it was one of my questions because my tree has just been sort of lobbed out of my yeah. lounge doors <laughs> and it's just sat in the garden, what to do with it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, but what's... Um, yeah, growing. So you gave everybody who came this year, you gave them a mini tree. That's right. Yeah, plant in their own garden. I didn't know that was possible. Is it? Yeah. How long does it take to grow a Christmas so tree? So we, um, what we do is when we buy the Christmas trees in, we, um, we give each guest a Christmas tree about sort of eighteen inches high, yeah. and it's in a pot, and we decorate it up, and we put it in their room, and then they can either plant the tree, take it to their home, and plant in their own garden. Right. Or they can leave it here, and we'll plant it for them. Oh, really? So some years we plant sort of twenty or thirty. Other years we might end up with more. Wow. This year, sadly, obviously, yeah. where we were you basically shut, we've got a full seventy to plant. So, Blimey. and then um, if you plant them, how long do they take to grow to any sort of? Quite a while. They grow about sort of between twelve and eighteen inches a year. Okay. So, and then yeah. the, the nice thing is because we invariably end up needing extra trees at Christmas, no matter how much you plan, someone will arrive on Christmas Eve for a tree. It always gives us a few spares if we need it. Okay. So, and, and those ones you keep for customers, do you label them? Do you know who's for who's? Or no, 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 sorry, not that detail. <laughs> I was just thinking, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if you came back 10 years later and went, my <laughs> yeah. God, it's taller than me now. But, yeah. uh, no, sadly yeah. not that detail. Okay. So the polytunnel we're in now, so this the plan in here this year is we want to grow some giant uh, pumpkins. 
It has our bedding plants as they're coming through the system uh, for the first part of spring. And then we're going to try and grow some giant pumpkins in here this year We want on pallets. So we want to try and get some really big pumpkins. Wow. So it's we do lots of gourds and we do lots of um, squashes and things for an autumn display. But we figure a really big pumpkin this yeah. year will be... Uh, okay, and this is for display purposes more than for culinary purposes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're all about display here. I I, yeah. I, um, I just love doing displays of anything. Yeah, so uh, I think I saw a photo of like, was it maybe hundreds of pumpkins in your... That's right, yeah. <laughs> it did well, look amazing. Yeah, it's it yeah. quite a few this year. So we're going to come through here. Darren's doing very well at managing my dog whilst we're on this walk as well, who's trying to pull his arm off. Do you need me to close that there? No, no, it's all right. Leave it. So I was going to say, it's hard to yeah. keep it warm, is it? The dog <laughs> seems to know the route, which is yeah. worrying me. Yeah. <laughs> so this is our tomato house. So we normally have about 250 tomato plants. Um, we grow six different varieties, everything from really big sort of beefsteak heritage tomatoes down to the little tiny tomatillos. And the idea is, again, because they're big and they sort of go right up to the ceiling, guests can walk right through them and you know pick the tomatoes help themselves wow. so these all go up to the cookery school and then they're used in the cookery classes um at the very end we have lemon verbena and we also grow cucumelons um we've done cucumelons for about four or five years we started growing them as bar snacks we wanted something different right so we put little bowls of uh cucumelons on the bar what are they they're just small just like a, they're a cross between a melon and a cucumber. Clues in the name, eh? Yeah, a little... <laughs> yeah, That's little, a real thing. I just little, thought you were, you were making it up. <laughs> no, like no, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> so they're like a little tiny, um, about twice the size of a grape. Right. So um, this is our tomato house. And then what we'll do is we'll go through into the big polytunnel next door where we grow the majority of our plants. So if we, okay. if you follow me. And then, so you work with Adams, the head chef, and who is it who runs the cookery school? Um, so... We, at the cookery school, um, so it's obviously everything comes from Adam Summers, who's James Martin's chef. Yep. And then in the main kitchens, obviously, it's Luke. That's right. Sorry, um, wrong way around. No, that's fine. <laughs> I tend to concentrate, to be fair, we work most for the cookery school chef, so it's whoever yeah. does the cookery school classes. Right. It's much easier for us to feed produce into the cookery school uh, than it is to the restaurant, because the beauty of the cookery schools, they will always find a use for any produce you take to them. Right, okay, yeah. So this is our biggest tunnel, so six big growing benches, and this particular bench is all heated, so as you can see, we've got our sweet peas. So the moment wow. it goes uh, a little bit milder, these will all be planted out. Yeah, They'll so, be our so I've, um, regular listeners will know that I... I but my, my lockdown project, lockdown one project, was yeah. building myself a little uh, little greenhouse and actually getting into a bit of gardening. And funny enough, about two weeks ago, I planted not as many as that, yeah. but, but maybe 60 sweet peas. Yeah. Yours are well ahead of mine. They're something you can plant pretty early. So we plant these in October, November. So these wow. are planted well before Christmas. Okay. But the beauty being a heated bench is they come up. Right. Um, to be fair, the germination this year hasn't been as good as it normally is, but because we grow on mass the whole time we can just take what we need but like i say we'll do two or three uh, batches this year because we want to do sweet peas in every single bed the idea is they create such an impact that regular guests now come and ask for them so we want to rather than just have an aisle of them we want on every bed we're going to do a sweet pea display so if, they'll if end on, up on when you say every bed that's not every room that's literally no, no, on every, the bed every, sorry yeah apologies yeah every bed in the kitchen garden so all right. 16 beds I'm either, thinking, either end i'm thinking as a hotelier <laughs> that's gonna be surely your linen department get a bit annoyed yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so Got every you. every uh, growing bed in the kitchen garden will have a like a big sweet pea display and we do rather than do a traditional wigwam we actually put the canes in vertically um 
so that, that we make a very open display of sweet peas so okay. so they'll be planted and then when they're gone then we'll start doing our salad crops for the cookery school so again we normally grow sort of things like uh, mustards and lettuces and basils and rocket and just generally we don't grow them as a microherb we grow them somewhere between a microherb and a and a sort of a salad so we grow them just slightly bigger and then the idea is we we start them in here we take them up to the greenhouse at the cookery school and then they can just help themselves to them as part of the cookery classes they'll come out and they'll harvest their own micro veg take it in and cook it and put it in the dishes nice um, perfect in the next couple of weeks we've also got bedding plants arriving so there's 12,000 bedding plants arriving in two weeks time so for the summer so they're only planting oh my yeah. goodness <laughs> yeah. all done by hand well we had a thousand arrive this morning which are um some slightly hardier shrubs uh so sorry some slightly hardier perennials which are going to go for the coach houses um but because it's so cold we've put those up in a heated greenhouse this morning but we'll, we'll see those in a uh, minute you've had a much busier start to the day <laughs> it's only 10 o'clock. i'm feeling slightly guilty because you did you did tell me earlier that that um you know we'll come to the impact of the pandemic but a lot yeah. of your team are furloughed at the moment yeah um, how do you plant twelve thousand plants well, we'll, we'll, your team we'll the one beauty back? is is with the flexi furloughs we'll have to get some back for right. a couple of weeks come and give us a hand and then by then truthfully you know hopefully we'll have more of an indication of when we're, we're open anyway and we're going to need to get people back for probably four weeks before we open just to get us up together anyway. Okay. It's, um, yeah. you know, at the moment we're just ticking over. But you'll see, you know, here we've got some daffodils, which will form a display in a couple of weeks. And then the, what looks like dead sticks there, that's actually our dahlia crops. So we, um, the idea is we want to grow a massive amount of cut flowers in the kitchen garden this year. So the dahlias will, will form part of that. So that's... Uh, that's what the, the dead sticks are. They so I've impressive. got, yeah, they do. My son <laughs> I've just planted. In fact, when we were we were due to chat last week, weren't we? And, and you phoned me, and I yeah. was actually planting what my son uh, referred to as dead sticks. Um, so yeah, so I'm learning this kind of stuff. Yeah. The um, the dahlias. So I've got a load of uh, like tubers. Are they called? Yeah, that's bulbs? it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which apparently I, I think I read don't don't plant them yet. Is that right? No, no. They'll they'll stay in here till sort of probably May. Um, you know, years ago, I remember my dad always used to keep the tubers in the airing cupboard when we were kids. Right. So yeah, um, My wife will love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell her that you said... Yeah, uh, I'll just say Darren idea. said it was all right. Yeah. There's strawberries there. They're looking pretty... Yeah, they're, they're little healthy. alpine strawberries. So, right. again, they're actually extra ones. Um, we're trying to sort of keep them a little bit colder just so they don't get aphids and things on them. But the idea is we're going to do a new strawberry bed. Um, we've got some strawberry plants, which we'll see later on. Wow. Uh, up at the the heated greenhouse and then these will go at the front and then we'll we'll put a load more we want to make strawberries our main theme through the kitchen garden this year so that every table will have a pot of strawberries on there so people can pick strawberries directly from the plant okay. and, and eat them this is in the cookery school this is no sorry yeah, this is in the kitchen garden the, sorry the kitchen garden. Right. Um, because we figure the outdoor dining for us is yeah, going to be absolutely huge. massive yeah, this year absolutely. and so that's the areas we're concentrating on. So Amazing. strawberries going to be everywhere. So wow. little alpine strawberries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got about six plants and that stresses me out. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, no, we potted the runners up the other day. So, um, so through the back here, this is our soft fruit nursery. So through here, we have two patches of red, white and black currants. Um, we have medlars, tayberries, um, and then the idea is that the bar staff actually use these more than anything. They come out and they pick um, the fruit in the mornings and then they take them in and they use them as garnishes on all the drinks and things. So that's really nice. Nice. 
and they're pretty engaged and they're happy to come out very and, uh, much so yeah we have it. we have an amazing um f&b manager called Maurizio, who really has helped me get the whole foraging and picking uh process yeah. uh, up and running and has so, that changed? I guess again, you know, that thing of you being here for so long—is there a lot more interest now in not not just, uh, I suppose, yeah, the, the estate management, but you're growing for the garnishes for the teams, oh, and, and people seem to be more interested in the sort of lo- locality of food and stuff. I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the thing is, as well, guests want to be involved as well, yeah. which is why we do so many garden tours and estate tours, um, because people want to see what you're doing and they want to see how things are grown. And you know, even if you can't grow enough to supply the whole hotel. What you can do is you can show them how it's grown so you can take an idea and then they can do it in their garden. And I think that's really important. And the more people that do these things, it's, it's like, a, you know, I just wrote an article the other day for a magazine on um, how to encourage bees and birds into your garden. And, you know, it's 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 about sort of trying to show people how easy it is to change things, you know, and to, to get these things into their garden. And then they'll do it and then the neighbours will do it. And then gradually... You know, life changes for the better, doesn't it? Really. Yeah. So, so a couple of quick tips there, then, because bees. I, you know, I was interested. I, I interviewed a uh, a beekeeper, and yeah. I just think you know, incredibly fascinating. I think I spent an hour and a half talking yeah. about bees, which I didn't think was possible. I'm not sure if anybody ever listened, uh, but it was it was amazing. Um, and one of the things he was saying is that actually, you know, people think, oh, you know, we, we need bees, you know, get more yeah. beehives. But actually the answer isn't, because honeybees are, are quite sort of a, a aggressive in their sort of nectar acquisition, I suppose. Yeah. And the answer is more, you know, plant more flowers and, and support the kind of, you know, the wild Absolutely. bees and the native bees. Is that your Yeah, take no, on no, it? definitely. And yeah. what all should people do in their gardens to do that then? So all our planting, we always plant single flowers. So they're always very open. Hence the reason I was saying about the dahlias. There's one called Moonfire, for instance, which is you know a very very open dahlia or Mystic Dreamer. Um, you know, lots of cornflowers, lots of Babina bonariensis, all plants that are very very open, so the bee can get the pollen and nectar easy. And the other thing for us is trying to make sure there's a source of nectar all year round. So um, you know, we've planted lots and lots of big dog roses in the boundaries. So again, a really open rose that the bee can get right into. So, you know, he, last week when it was warm, we had the bees out flying in virtually right. every hive. So wow, <laughs> they need really? to find food. So yeah. even if it's just clover, you know, in the in the paddocks, that's, that's it. I mean, you're actually looking what that, that little um, that little pond next to the greenhouse is, is actually our bee pond for the summer. Right. One one lesson we learned really early on when we started keeping the bees is bees drink a lot of water and we have hot tubs around the around the hotel so um which is an ideal drinking solution for no bees way, really. so we we had to make a, a bee drinking um area for them so they like very shallow water they can walk in so really? so they don't har- harass your guests yeah it's, and that uh, made a difference oh yeah it did yeah we took Just them all off a site all off site and then we brought them back gradually and then you know we made made sure they knew where the water was no, how on earth do you educate a bee where it's got to get its water <laughs> from yeah you've got, you've got this is your beekeeper who does that you delegate yeah that. this is our beekeeper yeah love truthfully that. people so people have knowledge that i don't and so he actually he had to take them away because they were hassling the guests so take them away and then yeah it was bring um, them back re-educated yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't a major issue but it was just a learning curve the problem is half the time People see a wasp and they think it's a bee. Yeah, um, true. So yeah, my, my, my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Darren's doing very well now at navigating yeah, a gate, a dog, gate, dog a microphone. microphone. <laughs> He's doing so, genius. I'm trying to, I think I should at least try and close this That's all right, us. just leave the gate, Mark. We'll go. do that later. Okay. So what we've got now is this another good sort of environmental project of ours. So this gravel road that comes in, this was actually the construction track for the treehouse pathway. And the idea is we wanted to um, to keep it in 
but we wanted to improve it because this gives us an access to bring events in sort of um you know back of house through the hotel okay so, so this, what you, you built this road specifically for when you built the tree house and yeah, when you say tree houses for people that don't know the Tewton Glen tree houses yeah. these are i mean like, yeah these are Big not tree houses. yeah these, these are <laughs> yeah. pretty decadent sort of three bed exactly uh, beautiful bathroom but they are absolutely stunning so we've put two and a half thousand hawthorn plants either side um ah. about sort of five six years ago we've now started to cut them so the idea is these will create a really dense hedgerow so the beauty of the hedgerows it gives the birds um, some protection so they'll nest in there it also you know gives the bees an excellent food source it means that jennifer's got something she can forage um with the berries so we make a mixed berry jelly which the berries go in uh, so you know all these things we're trying to think of how we can improve the environment the whole time and then just at the back here so this is our heritage orchard that we're now at the back of it again now this is getting quite mature we always lead people through here when we do uh, events on site. So just in the foreground there, you'll see like a little wooden hut. So that's our clay pigeon hut. Okay. And then behind that, we've got our uh, event field for motorized activities. So uh, quad bikes, uh, dune buggies, land rovers, they all go on out here. This field here, so this is just four acres of mown grass. And then the idea is we do falconry, archery out here, uh, laser clay pigeon shooting, football pitches, sort of a variety of things. And are these all activities that you run in-house or is this an external sort of events company that comes in and does them? So we have a an event company that works exclusively for us and then she sources all the events for us. We book everything through her. That way she manages everything for us. Right. It's um, The problem is it's... um with events is you need an awful lot of equipment yeah so i was just thinking <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah and that's open to just a hotel guest or could yeah. other people come no, in no no hotel guests and to be fair things like the falconry are probably we generally have two bookings a day just just for that alone right. let's say the sheep walking we did 250 sheep walks just in the short period of time we were open last year yeah, um, amazing yeah. So you, you keep know, a lot of people busy for not because you're not a massive. How many rooms? I'm trying to remember. Is it uh, seventy bedrooms? Seventy yeah. bedrooms. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so it's not you know it's not massive, but the idea is you know it's all family. So yeah. it's no good bringing people here if you're not going to give them something to do. No, so I didn't. I hadn't appreciated quite how much you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You do from an activity perspective. I guess. So, <laughs> so what? Jasper we, doesn't want to go that way. No. <laughs> well, what we we'll do is if we let him off the off the lead. He can have a run. Okay. Perfect. And what we'll do is we'll head down, and we'll go through the. Um, through the back of the tree houses and we're going to see some more beehives and Amazing. our Christmas tree nursery and then we'll, we'll head up to the cookery school. Perfect. Okay, where are we now, Darren? We've had a little stroll. Okay, so this is our Christmas tree nursery at the back. So you see the tall Christmas trees. So Wow, they really are tall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every year anything that gets left uh, by the guests gets planted here. Um, the last couple of years, to be fair, we've, we've actually planted along our boundary, but normally they get planted here. And then you just get left to grow. So the the nice thing is we can thin a tree out occasionally, and yeah. then use it in the hotel. How long have some of those look? I don't know what they are. Twenty. Some foot of maybe, them are about yeah. ten years old. Yeah, right. some of them are about ten years old. And then to the side, the little beehives on the pallets. So this is going to be the start of a queen rearing project for right. us. Right. So, so this, this I think is awesome. So I've read that you can get queens sort of delivered in the post. Absolutely. How yeah. do you how do you rear your own? So these are. I mean, the queens that we normally um buy come from sort of holland and belgium and the continent yeah and the idea is they've got to be really calm we need docile queens so we don't have angry colonies of bees so 
what we're trying to do here is we're actually trying to breed our own queen bees right. in the little tiny nuke boxes. Again, and I just think, you know, who would know that a hotel's yeah. doing that? So go on then, yeah, how does well, it work? the idea is, the reason we want to do that is because, you know, it is expensive to keep bringing them in, and also there's an import cost, you know, it's, and so if we breed our own, then we know they're going to be calm, they know they're going to be docile. So Rob and it all comes from the queen. If the queen's docile, the, the queen's the, the docile. Rest of every docile. the whole hive is docile. Yeah. That's so, awesome, and it's the same as if the queen is really hard working, then the whole hive is really hard working. So, it's trying to make sure that you've got the right queens in the right hives, and so hence the reason we're trying to breed our own. So this is the start of our queen rearing project. So by the time you come here at the end of the summer, yeah, this will all be completely full. I mean, at the moment there's probably what 30 hives here. Yeah, there are probably more like seventy here by the end of the summer, all okay. full of sort of. And 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 you do something differently queens. to breed a queen than you do from just managing a hive. Do you? Yeah. Are we getting too technical? No, now that's for too technical. This is yeah. too technical. This is where you bring in your bee man. To the beekeeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking this is probably going to take us down a long way. Yeah. Fundamentally, it looks like you get a box and you stick some bricks on it. Yeah, it looks it, pretty easy. The boxes are here, just literally <laughs> to stop the hives blowing over. I mean, you'll see they're literally cable tied down at the moment because the the wind has been so strong. So. Right. But the idea is we have bees in three sites on the hotel. Um, so this is the, the, like I say, this is where we raise the queens. And then, um, like I say, uh, this is our smallest um, apiary. But what we'll do is we'll take you off and we'll show you the biggest apiary. Um, you can have a look at that. Uh, and then when we head up to the cookery school. What's an apiary? So an apiary is just a, a group of, or a colony of bees. Is it? Yeah. So, so see, uh, I don't remember that. Yeah. My, I did 90 <laughs> minutes on bees so and never, clearly weren't I paying never attention. remembered that word. <laughs> Blimey. I'm embarrassed. Okay. So yeah, so that, like I say, literally last week when the, when the weather was warmer, we had bees flying out of virtually every box. And I know Rob was saying the other day that because it's been so mild up until now, um, he literally has, has hardly had to feed the bees all winter. Um, we don't take off all the honey in the winter we leave them with some of their own honey so that they have their own honey to sustain them and then although we do have to feed them a little bit through the winter we then don't have to feed them too much um, we feed them sort of fondant and sugar paste right so the idea is you know we want the bees to to be happy and healthy we don't want to just pull every ounce of honey out of the hives yeah so. nice do it so what we'll do is we'll head over there and then we'll Okay. Down that track, so we head that way. Perfect. All right, the dog will follow us. He'll yeah, work it out. Yeah, he'll so sort it out. Whilst we're strolling down there, what you uh, you came here for originally to do an apprenticeship. What was your yep. motivation? Had you been thrown out of school, or had you always <laughs> wanted to work <laughs> no, in no, uh, no. in the land? Or? No, I um when I left school, I went to Sparshot College for a couple of years, and um, I, school didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Truthfully, I um I couldn't really understand it. It didn't. It wasn't something that interested me. I didn't particularly understand it. Went to Horticultural College, um, really enjoyed it, understood it, sort of just sort of clicked really. Um, did two years there, then came here as an apprentice gardener, and then after a couple of months, I approached the um, the managing director at the time, um, Robin Hudson. Ah, Robin's been on the podcast actually. That's so it. Yeah, okay, great. And said, um, would he enable me to go back to college to uh, do, a, do a much higher qualification to, to do a national diploma in horticulture. Was, was this decorative horticulture, did I read? That's that it, right? yeah. What, what, what's the decorative element of that then? That's so decorative is, or at the time, was anything that um, wasn't grown commercially. So it wasn't something that was grown like a cut flower. It was something that was grown outside uh, in a park or a garden. Right. And he was brilliant. He was fully supportive. So 
he let me do my industry year here so I stayed with him for two and a half years um, he agreed he'd already had a job lined up for me when I came back so I left for nine months came back as a gardener and then the the current head gardener at that time struggled a little bit as the hotel was expanding um, so I basically got more and more responsibility took over as head gardener and then estate manager and basically you know my role is just to try and grow the estate make sure every ounce of the estate is used and um, generally manage the land that surrounds Tewton Glen. Right and there was about sort of 15 years between you know head gardener and estate manager that wasn't because you were waiting for someone to retire that was a new role basically. Yeah was basically it? it was a role that was created for me it actually started because um, we, would, we were struggling to um, we were struggling to get people to, to help us and um, as we grew the estate a little bit. So the, the general manager at the time, Mark Bevan, um, approached me and said, look, you know, we'd like you to take on some more responsibility. It'll enable you to grow uh, the estate more. And actually just, a, it was a change of job title. It actually does, it just, it means that people will talk to you more. It sounds ridiculous, right. yeah. I know, but it's, the difference is you probably going as a proprietor of your business. It's true. As yeah. opposed to a head chef, it yeah. just yeah, it's funny. Yeah, even um, though I always tell people that if they really want to be dealt with efficiently, they should speak to the uh, the general manager if they're trying to organise an event rather than me as the yeah, owner. Absolutely, people, people want to speak to the owner. Well, uh, even though they get uh, not for long, they don't. About you know, an hour later, they go, "Yeah, you're right." Let yeah, me speak to the GM. no, absolutely. I mean, probably the best example for me was when we tried to do the Heritage Orchard. We approached the RHS and said, "You know, we'd like help. Would you help us do this?" And the first thing they said to me was, "You're not Raymond Blanc. We're not interested." So we were like, okay. Wow. Okay. That's uh, harsh. And so we went off, and we, we found our own way. And but yeah, but these. Have you gone back to them and said you've got 250 of the no, wild, no, the, the no, uh, no. rarest trees yeah. in the no, country? No, not yet. at all. I mean, you, you know. I'm going to tell them. The, yeah. <laughs> you, the way you treat people on the way up is the way they'll treat you on the way down. So yeah. it's never good to brag. But what I'm trying to say is, it it, it didn't make life easy so um so yeah so that's that so okay. so we're walking as we're chatting we're walking past these incredible tree houses yeah. now which i hadn't to be fair i, I interviewed andrew stembridge in one uh, but i don't think i i think i just sort of had the vip treatment yeah. i think it was terrible weather and i'd been <laughs> driven to one yeah. i hadn't realized just how nestled into the forest they are aren't yeah, they? they're I sort mean, of on a they're in a dip almost as well so they, they're really sort of yeah fully camouflaged exactly yeah. i mean the ecology that went on around building these tree houses was, was no odds to anyone it's um you know, everything from we had to move a badger set to um, bat boxes, nesting boxes. So every tree was numbered. It's all surveyed. So we know, we know exactly what it was. We deliberately wanted to keep all the big trees. So nothing that wasn't, you know, uh, of importance was, was cleared to make way for the trees. Everything was done with the you know, minimal impact in mind. And then actually what it did do is it set us off on the right way because now... Um, it helped us get the ecology really moving. You know, bear in mind this was three, four years in the planning, so this is going back probably 10 years. We now every year have a tree consultant comes and he surveys every single estate, tree on the estate for me. And we try and maintain as much dead wood actually on the tree as we can, so it creates habitats for the birds and things. So sorry, do you say somebody surveys every tree? Every tree. What are they looking for? Um, disease, dead wood, uh, a tree that's possibly moving, and then he'll give me a list of what we need to be doing. Wow. Okay, so when you say that tree moving thing, and I'm looking at a tree that must be 60 foot high, that's about eight, exactly. eight, eight foot away from a tree house, yeah, exactly. you so don't want that moving, do you? No, exactly. And But the point being is, you know, even if it did move, if you think 
15 years ago, probably, the insurance company would have just told me to take it off of the base and just not have the risk. Right. Whereas now, because they trust us and they know the way we work, they'll know that we'll literally take weight off accordingly of one side of the tree to make sure it's balanced in such a way Brilliant. that it's not going to fall on the tree on the treehouse. Okay. So every tree on the estate, Dave looks at for me. That's and amazing. Um, so I've just read the book Overstory. Have you heard of that book? No, I'm it's sorry. Book about, no, don't worry. It's a book about trees. I don't think many people will. A bit like my 90-minute podcast yeah. on bees. It's quite a long book on trees. <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't pay attention, yeah. did you? <laughs> no, exactly. So uh, I just found it amazing that, that, that we've now sort of proven that, that the trees are all kind of communi- communicating with each other through yeah. the sort of mycelium under the ground and the, the network and all the kind of, uh, you know, the mushroom links and all that kind Absolutely. of stuff. I've got, I've got a newfound uh, respect and love of trees and uh, yeah recommend that book have a have a read it's a fiction book but it's uh it's based around trees yeah and you, as you'll see you know underneath there's uh all small christmas trees as well so these were last year's christmas trees um we put in here so we also in this area we're trying to put more and more indigenous plants so you'll see there's more beech trees there's quite a lot of hazel um nuts and things so yeah you know again we're we also plant some sycamores, which are like a weed tree, but because we have squirrels in this area, we use the sycamores as like a, a sacrificial tree. The, right. the squirrels will always go for those, so they'll damage the sycamores and leave all the nice big oak trees and beech trees and things alone. Amazing. And this all, all this land, so these these sort of tree houses, they've all got balconies that sort of are overlooking woods. How far does the does the estate sort of stretch in that direction? So it's very quite densely sort of... Uh, foliage that yeah way, that whole it? area that whole valley is ours right. and then what we'll do is we're going to walk through that valley now and then we'll head towards the cookery school um, but we'll also have a look at um, another one of our bee colonies and things there as well okay so we'll head down here now I think this bit here is the prettiest part of the estate so this little pathway leading down much longer there and we're going to walk through it we're going to uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. going to take the Riff edge off that. arrived yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah you're right um you mentioned just now as well when we were on that road about the uh, you know having that sort of access for event space so yeah. you're quite famous for having big events you know chris evans comes down and does this sort of children in need you've got concerts yeah. i think have you got ollie Murs this year i think i my, believe so i yeah. think my wife and, and daughter are coming to an ollie Murs gig yeah how, how do you manage so. that do they have a big impact on the on, on sort of the estate i suppose so i'm thinking like you know glastonbury obviously you know can destroy a farm yeah. for a couple of years I how mean, do you manage having that sort of influx of, of people or is it pretty easy or is it fun no it's fun i mean the way you got to look at it is you know they do do damage and there's always a bit of cleaning up to do afterwards. But if you don't have the events, we're not here to do all the nice stuff that go around it. So you sort of have to put up with these things a little bit. You know, it's uh, yeah. probably being selfish. I'd end up with an estate with just me just on Just you, here. I was <laughs> going to say. Yeah. Well, actually, going after you, we've, we've reached a bridge. My dog is going to love you because he loves water. He's, he's quite and wet. You're going yeah, to have to you found a off. stream. Don't worry. He's, he'll always find water. So along this stream a few years ago, we, we started to clean all the banks up. Um, because we've actually spotted some kingfishers along here. So every year we clear a little bit more, a few more sections of bank. So the idea is the kingfishers can be left to do their own thing. So, you know, all you just see is a little dart of blue along there. And then the stream, this is actually the Hampshire-Dorset border. And this stream goes right out to the road either end. But by clearing a little bit of section each year, then um, we give the kingfishers some habitat. Yeah, so talking about, uh, yeah, ideally just having the place to yourself, are you yeah. living to regret that? Because what's the <laughs> impact been? Presumably in the 30 years you've been here, you've never seen anything like you no. know, what we've had. This is the first time I'm guessing that the estate literally has been empty for a long period of time. Yeah, it has. I mean, the, the first lockdown, it, it, it was, to be honest with you, we didn't really notice that much difference. Myself and the head gardener stayed on. 
you know, and we just cut grass all day and just watered the plants. And we, truthfully, it wasn't a massive amount different, um, other than the fact we just concentrated on a few target areas. We didn't worry too much about sort of kitchen gardens and produce and things. But this time, I think where the weather's been bad and it's been colder and you know that people are more miserable at home, they can't get out. I think this one really does seem to have dragged on a bit. I'm, I must admit, I'm really, really looking forward to sort of a bit of a green light as to when we can open up again. Yeah, and uh, all waiting for uh, for Boris's update. By the time this goes out, we might have a little bit more of an idea because we're yeah, a few weeks ahead, so we'll see. But I mean, uh, for, for me, you see, we only have a, a small team, there's nine of us, but we're all very close, we're all very tight-knit. And um, I employ quite a young team. We employ quite a lot of apprentices who bring, you know, a really good energy to them. And you really miss them. It's, uh, you know, it's not having that every day. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong, it drives you mad when the phone's ringing every two minutes and people are asking you questions all the time. But when you haven't got it, you really miss it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Have you, um, have you been doing anything to try and keep the team engaged? Has it been... Yeah. How, how many's in your team? So there's nine of us in our team at the moment. Right. Now we have um, group chats and things which we talk all the time on. So, and every week I let them know what we're doing, what's coming up, um, you know, what we're up to. So okay. there's a constant dialogue. A plus where the apprentices are still at college, we're still having to do reviews and things with them. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's really good. Have you been able to do any stuff during this sort of closure period that, that you sort of you've you've hankered after doing for a long time, and actually you've sort of had the opportunity without customers around? Or? Um, no, to be honest, we, we haven't really. It's uh, things like Christmas was a little, a little bit different. Trying to pack that away—that's normally a mammoth task for sort of ten people. So rather than put the decorations away straight away, we actually made a new. We boarded out a huge section of loft and made ourselves a bespoke Christmas tree store. So oh really? Okay. We've done a few jobs like that, but yeah. To be honest with us, we're we're just trying to tick over a little bit, waiting to open because this time of year we'd normally be doing ditches and drains and and those sorts of jobs, but with two of us it's just not possible at the moment. Yeah. So okay. this is just a private house in the background there, is it? Or? Yeah, it's a private house in the background in the corner of one of the fields. And then we also own so we own up to that border there, at that boundary there. Yeah. This here is another one of our apries. This is actually the biggest site. Okay, so this so, is sort of two yeah, long, long hedgerows and they're all sort of hidden in the middle. This is, this is by yeah. design, isn't it? So the idea was with the gorse, it's very dense, um, very, uh, very sheltered. So we only had a little bit of gorse on the estate. So I asked a friend of mine, Kate, to see if she could propagate a huge number of gorse plants for me. So she propagated 350 gorse plants for me. We planted these two huge hedgerows. And then the idea is we've now put all beehives right through the middle. And then in the summer, there's probably between 50 and 60, just through here, this section alone. And then it, it because it's sheltered, the sun can still get in here, but the wind won't damage them too much. Yeah, and obviously you can see more sheep up here as well. I was going to well. say, have <laughs> I lost my bearing? No, these aren't the same sheep we met earlier, are they? So these are the sheep that are due in probably three, four weeks' time. So the right. sheep, sheep... I love the fact they've all... Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> they've all come. So what, I don't know there are maybe eight of them. Jasper, Jasper. Oh. And they've all come to uh, to meet the dog. Yeah, the who, dog's uh, decided he's a sheep dog. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, he was super chilled. I don't, luckily, he's, uh, he's noticed there's a fence, and yeah. he doesn't normally <laughs> chase them, but he, he, they've all literally just legged it. Interesting they all came to say hello. He yeah. does look a bit like a sheep in some ways, maybe. So, uh, yeah. So, so um, yeah, so these are the the, uh, the ewes that are due around Easter time. We've tried to spread it out so that there's young sheep for a long period of time. You know, the, it's all about making sure there's a nice Instagram picture for people so they can take pictures of the sheep I must love that. I'm just imagining, time. yeah, young families must just love being yeah, able to get a, yeah, they do. a picture with the lambs. So, yeah, beautiful. And we're lucky, although it's um, it's cold, the sun's come out. It's beautiful, Darren. No, I'm glad beautiful. we moved this from last week yeah. when it was like <laughs> a... Uh, with yeah, yeah, we were going to need an ark to yeah. get around the estate, weren't we? So... Uh, so what yeah. we're going to do now is we're going to head up to our cookery school okay. and we'll try and show you a little bit what we do up there. So, um, Perfect. like I say, this field's actually, for us, it's our best grass up here as well. And we normally cut this for hay, um, but now the sheep are here, we're probably going to turn this whole field into um, the area for the sheep. So they'll probably come away from the kitchen garden. They'll probably come all up here. Right. And, and then what we'll do is we'll the kitchen garden will probably turn into more of a family friendly area um we'll probably put like a tp and stuff back up there which we used to have years ago yeah um any plans to bring any other livestock or um no i mean originally we wanted to do uh sort of dexter cattle and that sort of things but to be honest the sheep have been so good i think um i wouldn't want to mix you know um sort of ruin a, a formula that works they are a particularly handsome breed. Were they? They were selected deliberately because they're good with yeah. families, were they? Or? No, no. I mean, it's just so these were the the sheep that Angie keeps. So these are coloured Rylands. So she used to have a sheep flock on four different sites. She's now down to three different sites. And then what she'll do is she'll gradually move her entire flock to the estate. So she'll just be based here solely. So nice. at so the moment, symbiotic kind of opportunity to to yeah, join forces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um. You know, at the moment, there's probably 20 sheep on site. There'll probably be 40 by the end of the summer. And we'll probably stay around that. It's, the estate's big enough to support that. And then the one beauty is, you know, we can always make temporary paddocks if we need more grazing anywhere. So, we, you know, we've got enough land. So, um, and yeah. I think people would much rather see the sheep on the land than, than us charging back and forth with lawnmowers. So, yeah, no, I agree, 100%. That's, yeah. Alright, do they end up on the menu? Sorry to ask. But the lambs. No plans for that at the moment, no. Okay. No plans for that at the moment. So just the sheep walking at the moment. Yeah. So uh nice. So you keep your chefs away. Yeah. So absolutely. Get away. Yeah. Get away from that field. You're not uh, Yeah, no, I mean the thing the nice thing is that the the chefs have all bought into everything we do as well and um and the project, so it, it's really nice. So yeah, that there's uh no plans at the moment. Perfect. Okay, where are we, Darren? Um, so we're in our Alitex greenhouse up here at the cookery school. So we use this greenhouse to normally uh, grow herbs and the baby salads I was saying about for the cookery school. And then the idea is they come out of the cookery school, literally out of the door there, come and pick the produce fresh out of the greenhouse. However, at the moment, uh, we've got some seedling little micro strawberries in there, which the idea is we want them to be a nice early crop. And then we've got all our strawberry runners potted up here. So you were saying you only had six strawberries, but I guarantee by the end of the summer you'll have 60 strawberry plants. So that, you that don't quickly. need that many. Yeah. So, and that's yeah. sorry, but you've got them sat in, in water. water. They just they like that. They've got a bit of humidity and eating something to drink, do they? So that for me, I think the best way of growing in a greenhouse is to keep the top of the pot dry yeah. and just sit them in a very small amount of water. And then that way the roots always go down the pot looking for it. Right. 
But if, you, if you've got too much moisture at the top of the pot, you'll get disease and you'll get um, pests and, you know, it, it's an unhealthy environment. Whereas if you've just got a very small amount of water at the bottom, the roots will go looking for it. It's like when we went in the big polytunnel earlier on, th those benches are called capillary benches. So again, they have a small amount of water at the bottom, but you only ever water the plants from the bottom. It makes the root go looking for it. So the, the pot will stay dry, yeah. dry and the bottom is, is wet. Who, who needs Monty Don? Is that the same yeah. for all plants pretty much? Or are there some things that, are, that need watering from the yeah, top? Yeah, some things need watering from the top and they need sort of humidity, but... In general, it's always better just to have the, the roots wet and then have the, the top dry. But you'll see this morning we've had the first uh, bedding plant delivery. So um, we normally would have potted those up and put them in the polytunnel. But because it's due to be minus six tonight, yeah. we've left it in here where they'll sit. We've turned the temperature down to about 10 or 11 degrees. But the idea is of this uh, greenhouse, when we built it, we designed it in such a way that uh, we can do sort of little gin tasting sessions and things at night and we can do just little events and things and little gatherings. So if people want something slightly different to the to the cookery school, we'll, we'll just we'll just open this greenhouse up. Okay. And, and the cookery school, that, that isn't just aimed at uh, people staying in the hotel. That's no, sort of its no, own entity absolutely. now. Absolutely. The, the idea is, you know, we want people who are passing and if they want a burger or they want, you know, a pizza or they want a steak, you know, if we've got room, we will always serve them. So... Hence the reason why if there's not a table available, we've always got a table, you know, uh, bar stools on the counter. So it's our, um, you know, we want to be as open as we possibly can. I think, um, don't get me wrong, I think 30 years ago, there was probably an element of, of snobbery uh, around the hotel. But I yep. think now we try and be all things to all people. And I think as you've probably seen this morning, you probably had no idea we did half the stuff yeah, we do. Absolutely, yeah. And um, it's important for us to try and tell as many people, you know, what we do, so the, the word gets out. And um, yeah. So the cookery school isn't just a cookery school; it's open. You can no. you can eat in there as well. Basically, eat in there, right? yes. Yeah, so there's a 45 cover restaurant in there, and like I say, we do outdoor dining as well, um, the cookery school as well. And then you know, I think we would like to sort of start doing beekeeping classes up here as well. So we'll we'll. You know, we'll do functions, uh, slightly different events and things in there. So Amazing. it's a really good place for us. Really well, I'm multi coming back. I'm coming back for the beekeeping. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah, because <laughs> you obviously didn't pay attention to exactly. the first podcast. So this is Rob. Yeah. So Rob is, um, again, I've sort of been working with Rob now for about 10 years. He, I, I tried for probably 18 months to find a beekeeper who shared the same vision as I did and, and what I wanted to do at Chewton Glen. And people wanted to keep one or two hives here. And I was trying to say, no, I, I don't want one or two hives. I want to do beekeeping on a big scale, but around guests. And I want people to understand why we're doing it and the importance of bees. And um, so I, I got introduced to this chap and I explained my vision. And at the time, he only had like, 20 or 30 hives. And he said, well, actually, I'm, I want to retire in a few years. So I'm sort of gradually winding my work down. So that's basically what he's done as his full-time employment has wound down he's put more and more hives here so now like say we're up to 70 in the winter and then we go up again in the summer if we need to and then we're going to do the queen rearing and beekeeping classes and it's all about for me the estate is all about working with people who share the same passion with me so it's, it's rob it's jen who does the jams uh, angie does the sheep uh, jane who does the events and it's it's really nice because you have a little family of people who all you know share your vision and, and want to work and with you and and I think that's the that's the important thing you know I have trust in him and he has trust in me so if I say to him this is what I'd like to do you know he'll say look into it explore it and then we'll go from there I mean don't get me wrong I'm sure there's been 
things that I've you know suggested over the years that you know have probably been a bit left field, but we've generally tried ninety nine percent of things and they've 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 worked really well. So, and I think we have this theory here that we like to grow things organically. So we like to start a project on a small scale and then develop it as it as it goes on, rather than just go in and say right I want to keep 70 beehives at the beginning we start with a few and then we, we grow on and it's the same with everything we've done we've always started it small and grown and I think that way you learn from your mistakes as you go and your mistakes tend to only be little ones that way you can yeah. move the goal that, that's the exciting to. thing I think about staying so uh, somewhere so long isn't it is that you can do that was, was there ever a sort of uh, did you come close to leaving at any points in the past or has um, this always felt like a life's work no no I mean I've been offered some amazing jobs and you know I you know, I generally get quite upset if I'm not probably offered a new job every couple of months by someone, you know, because, <laughs> but why would you, the grass is always greener on the other side. And, you know, I love it here and I'm, I'm treated really well here and I'm treated with respect. So why would I want to go anywhere else? And I think there's still so many more things I want to achieve here. And, um, you know, that I think it's, you know, I've, I've got a, certainly got a lot more things I want to do here. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have no plans to leave here at, at all. And so. the thing is with nature is that it's long-term, isn't it? You can't nip in somewhere really and make Absolutely. a big difference, can you? Like, you, you know, when you talk about planting trees that have taken 10 years to grow Exactly, to yeah. I mean, yeah. a good example probably is the, the London Plains just there. So we're looking just there at a big row of London plane trees. You know, I, I planted those You sort of when my granddad died because I always remember when we used to go and visit him in London, there was always rows and rows of London plane trees along the road. So... Um, when he passed away about sort of 15 years ago, I put that sort of row of trees in because it always reminded me of, of him, That's you nice. know, so it's nice. So it's that yeah. sort of thing you're allowed yeah. to do. And so, yeah, like I say, real custodianship for a period of time. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, what's a London plane tree? I've not heard so of that. So <laughs> a London plane tree is a, a big tree they used to have in London. And when we go past, you'll see the bark peeling off. So yeah. the more pollution in the air, the more the bark peels off. So that's why the trees on the end of the road that are closest to the road, the bark peels more than the ones this end of the road where the wow, road air really? is clean. Yeah, that's amazing. And another, I guess, good example we send about the custodianship. There's a, a row of poplars there. My my first ever apprenticeship, apprentice Dave, um, was probably like twenty odd years ago. I remember planting those with him, and I remember saying to him, "You'll always drive past those and think I planted those." Yeah. So. You know, it, it is important, so yeah. it's good. And, and talking of apprenticeships, do you think people are becoming more interested, less interested in, in sort of, you know, the environment, I suppose, and more definitely where, where stuff comes from here? Yeah? yeah, definitely more. And and for me, it's becoming easier to recruit apprentices as well yeah. because, you know, sort of uh, 10 years ago, the only thing that uh, people leaving school, I think, really wanted is they wanted to earn £50,000 a year. They wanted a laptop and they wanted to just sit there and be important. Whereas now people want to get stuck in and they want jobs outside and they, they want um, a different way of, of, of life. And I think the opportunities are there. And so, I mean, certainly for apprentices from our point of view means that we, we don't have to employ 16 to 18 year olds. We can employ people of any age, people from a career change. And it's really nice. So we always get so much interest every That's time great. we have an apprenticeship come up. They're, yeah. they're really sought after. Yeah, Re reassuring to know, I think, isn't it, that... Um you know, I think we all think there's there's an interest, you know, more of an interest in, in yeah. certainly in the food side and where things are grown and the environment. Clearly, you know, we've got much more understanding now than we had. Um, but I also worry that people are just, you know, addicted to their Xboxes and Netflix and stuff. But oh, if you're definitely. seeing a, a growth in people wanting to work outside, that's got to be a positive sign for the future, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, to be fair, I think actually one thing lockdown has done is it's encouraged people outside more because people have had to go out to exercise. And I do think, you know, certainly... My wife and I, we live, you know, really close to the New Forest, so we, we walk in the forest a lot. 
I've seen more people out this year than I've ever seen in the sort of 30, 40 years of sort of walking out in the forest. So, and even probably before that, when we used to go around with my mum and dad, it was it's never been as busy as it is now, which yeah. is nice. No, it's great. Yeah, much much as it's been a very painful time for lots of us, I do hope that we all uh, slow down a bit and appreciate a little bit more when we come off the back of it. Yeah. Um, I've just got to ask before we leave because this is you know we're in a greenhouse. What's your favourite crop to grow? Do you have something you particularly love growing? Um, I hope no, it's strawberries this no, year. To be honest, I think I do really. To be honest, I, I sort of I get in, you know, I get whims of things I like to do. I mean, strawberries are obviously the crop this year, but to be honest, I don't really have a favourite crop or, or plant particularly at all. I think um, I, I tend to just uh, get immersed in whatever is growing at, at the time. Really, so yeah. last week it was snowdrops. This week it'll be hellebores. Next week it'll be bluebells. So yeah. I, I tend must, to flit. <laughs> that must be the lovely thing as well. To uh, yeah, just to, to to really see the seasons and appreciate them, and I suppose the change I, again. I guess going back to that environmental question a little bit, but has it changed much in thirty years? Have oh you, yeah, really? definitely. Yeah. What sort of things different? So. I think when I first started here, there was four definite seasons and the winter was cold and you had a very wet autumn, you had a very wet spring, a very cold um, winter and a you know hot summer, whereas now much more rain in the summer than we've ever had. Um, on the other hand, we also have um, periods of drought longer than we've, we've ever had. And the winters, they're not cold particularly anymore. I mean, I know today is cold, but we've only really had this week. They just wet all the time now and it just rains continuously. So for us that's something we're, we're having to look at i mean some of the older trees on the estate are really struggling um then they don't like this they're used to four defined seasons you know they've been here 200 300 years so you know that they are struggling with you know the the, the constant wet uh, rain on right throughout the winter and i think there's definitely been a change and they say this is how climate change is going to affect us that it's going to become milder and wetter for longer with sort of periods of drought in the summer. And I think it is becoming harder and harder to, to garden. And you're obviously losing the ability to, um, you know, you're obviously trying to do it with less chemicals and less pesticides. And so things are becoming more and more challenged. But I guess that's the same with everything in life, isn't it? It's all about how you think your way around these problems all the time. Mm. Does that motivate you then, sort of appreciating the change in, in environmental impact to look at ways of, you know, how can you uh, yeah, make this place as environmentally conscious yeah, as possible? Definitely, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm quite a stubborn person as well, so I, I sort of see it as a bit of a challenge, truthfully. Right. So uh, Mother Nature will not beat me. Yeah. <laughs> Although she always will. Of <laughs> reversing, uh, yeah, global climate change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's just um, it, you can't you can't beat uh, what's what's thrown it. You can only work with it. But it's being, I think, having the the foresight to change your plans and be adaptable. And if something's not working, to admit that it's not working and just say I made a mistake there and, and try something else. And I think if you always do that, you'll always get on okay. Yeah, perfect. Okay, we must be nearing the end of our tour. And my dog is just uh, kindly rolling in your yeah, bedding plants. Yeah, that's fine. So. Yeah, we might <laughs> put some little spikes on his feet. Look, he'll yeah, fork that yeah, board yeah, over we'll for, that us. for you. So yeah, okay. Well, we'll we'll head out of the greenhouse. So let's head back up to the forecourt now. Perfect. So uh, yeah, so we're in the we're in the woods now, Darren. Just tell me a little bit about what you're doing here to manage the uh, the trees. So you'll notice behind us um, the big sort of trunk with the top missing of the tree and several of the other trees around it are the same. So what we do now is years ago we would have had to just fell a tree completely and remove the trunk. Whereas now we take the top out of the tree, we leave the trunk to deteriorate over a number of years. And then by doing that, that as it rots off, it becomes a food source for insects. Those insects then feed the birds. And you know, one of my major passions is trying to increase the songbird population of the hotel. 
So we build 60 new nesting boxes each year around the estate. Uh, they stay up for about three or four years each nesting box before they sort of rot off and fall to the ground. So, you know, there's always around 150 nesting boxes at all times around the estate. So this all sort of started with the songbirds about probably 20 years ago. It's quite a while ago. We used to have a painter here who'd worked for the RSPB and he told me how to in, you know, increase the bird population here. You know, simple steps like the way we manage the trees, the way we plant shrubs, sort of close to bird boxes so um, the birds can fly from one thing to another rather than just go straight in. And so, you know, it's been really beautiful the last few years to watch the population increase. You know, I have the majority of the bird feeders are all around my office deliberately. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, lovely. I love just sitting there and just watching the birds, you know, sort of come and go. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it puts life in perspective, I always think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really does make a difference then. The things you've done, yeah, yeah. You've, you've really seen a oh, definitely, yeah. You have to wonder where they were going before, weren't they? Yeah, so. Well, exactly, yeah. And, you know, we have um, we have a guy comes and he works for Nat Natural England and he comes every couple of years and he surveys the bird population for us and tells us where we are and what we should be doing and how we can increase uh, right. further. So, you know, for instance, we've got some long-tailed tits have started back uh, this year we've never had those on the estate before so it's another new population of, of birds for us so in you know, all these little things you just they make such a difference over a period of time and it's really nice for the guests to see as well yeah amazing and great story to tell and i love the fact you've got a surveyor for that you've got a surveyor for trees you've got a yeah. surveyor for birds any other obscure surveyors that no, come in i'm no. <laughs> well, not to think of I probably think it's <laughs> the thing is there's always people that will know more than you Definitely. and i think it's always foolish to think you know everything about everything you really don't and so tap into people who really know what they're doing listen to what they're saying pick a little bit of information up from everyone then you can go off and do your own thing but that way at least you you're getting the best information you can so yeah. rather than trying to sort of read a book or google it there's people with vast experience out couldn't, there couldn't, couldn't agree more well that's and that's sort of the very point of me going around and having these conversations is that i always say you know there's somebody obsessed about every niche every detail yeah. uh and my and you know back along i always wanted to brew our own beer and roast our own coffee and do everything ourselves but actually i've learned that you know people who obsess about their one thing Absolutely. just know so much more than you're ever gonna know yeah so uh yeah let them do their thing is that a little insect hotel i spot so, over yeah there? so bug hotel so <laughs> This is down by our kids club, so kids club first of all. So this is our, is our miniature tree house. So uh, this was built for us for Chelsea Flower Show. So we took this to Chelsea Flower Show with Blue Forest, the people who made it. And we had the stand next to, um, next to Kate as garden. So we had people coming in, going through, and this was great because it, we could then tell the story of how it came, you know, it came here. So, the idea is the kids can be up there, kids club, the big balcony, they can overlook the golf course, uh, can play down here. So this is one project. And then opposite it, we have the bug hotel. So again, this was an Andrew Stembridge idea. He was basically said, I don't want a bug house. He said, I want a bug hotel. He yeah, said, I want I love the it. best bug hotel ever. Yeah. So um, yeah, we built this probably five or six years ago. We could probably do with a bit of a refurb now, but it's quite <laughs> is that good. feedback from the guests, is it? They're saying... No, it's probably... It's me is there looking, a bug, it's, bug advisor? Yeah, no, it's me looking at it <laughs> thinking, well, actually, we could do this more, but... Well, you're going to be disappointed when I say, can you hold that so I can take a photo then? Yeah, yeah. of course. So, I mean, so the thing is with this, the nice thing is everything was salvaged from the estate. So the roof tiles are old, old tiles from the roof. Um, all the clay pipes are old land drains out of the estate. All the uh, wood out of that is from trees that have come down on the estate and we've kept. 
and then even the canes were old sweet pea canes that were cut down so everything has been recycled excellent uh from the hotel okay it looks pretty quiet there today have they uh they got a pandemic going on as well or are they were just <laughs> yeah, tucked up because it's cold. Just a bit cold <laughs> yeah okay they've not told them that you're shut no nature must be loving the uh opportunity it's yeah, funny to... i mean you can see like the the croquet lawn at the moment's taking a bit of abuse from the from the rooks and things where there's no guests around constantly running around it's um yeah and we're not cutting it but so this is our sort of bar area and croquet lawn area and um you know, again, this is probably our most heavily used area of the hotel outside. Yep. The, this bar area is absolutely crammed all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's pretty sad seeing all that. You know, it's beautiful again. The sun's out. There's all those tables and chairs. Yeah. There's flowers. It's beautifully kept. And there's nobody on it. And normally, even on a day like this, I imagine there'd be people out there having a nice it, cup of it's coffee. It's used and, all the time. I mean, this yeah. croquet lawn, again, probably going back 20 years ago, was never used. It was it was beautiful and it was decorative and it was cut like a golf golf green, but it was never used. So, I mean, obviously, normally it's not looking at, it's, it's definitely not looking at its best Still now. Still looks but, better than my lawn, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now the idea is we want people to run around on it. We want, you know, the kids to come and play on it because there's no point in having a beautiful lawn if it's never, ever used. So we've now, we cut it slightly differently. We cut it slightly higher. Okay. We, we've changed the grass seed formation in there. We use a dwarf rye grass now, so it's tougher. It'll cope with the abuse. Right. So yeah, and, the whole and that's thing is the whole the whole change from you know get off my land to get on my land yeah, and absolutely. enjoy it. Yeah, because yeah. it's stupid having this beautiful building if it's never used. So, yeah. you know, we want people to feel feel welcome. Yeah, no, amazing, lovely. Is that the end of our tour then? So that's the end of our tour. So I hope that's been that's informative. Been fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much for sparing the time. Any any other sort of big projects on the horizon? I suppose it seems that you do so much with your you yeah. know, bring, bringing your sheep in and building tree houses and all this kind of stuff. Any anything on the horizon? We, we've got some things that we're talking about at the moment, but they are literally far too early to to yeah. talk about. And you know, uh, Andrew will be proud of you for not giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we have a ten year plan of what we'd like to achieve on the estate, but we need to. Um, you know, at the moment, we need to get open. I think that's got to be the priority and get yeah. get trading again. I think you're right. Uh, you're pretty good on social media, actually, as well, aren't you? Unusually, I'm going to say. For a, uh, <laughs> I was going to call you. you a gardener, but that might be uh, <laughs> that might be slightly belittling. But, uh, yeah, where should people go if they want to follow you? And I suppose um, yeah, why why you're interested in, uh, in Twitter particularly, I think, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's actually Instagram is my, oh, is it? my no. favourite. Okay. I, um, but I'm just at Darren Venables on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Yeah. I just do a lot. I think, for me, it's important. I don't want to be the, the gardener that went grey and sort of went away. I want people to know who I am, what I'm doing. And I want, I like the fact that when guests go away from here, they can still see what we're doing. Yeah, it's nice. And even now, you know, we're closed, but we're trying to tell the tale of what we're doing so people can still see and engage. And this goes back to this inclusivity thing yeah. we were talking about. Yeah, nice. No, well, it works very well. It's also very handy if you happen to be doing some research to uh, interview someone on a podcast, <laughs> Aaron, because you just look through your social and go, okay, yeah, here's all the things he cares about. Birds and sweet peas. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they were definitely in there. Well, look, I will put links up as well on the uh, show you. notes for this episode. But just, uh, yeah, thanks for the tour. Really appreciate you being so generous with your time. And, uh, and I've learned a lot. And I will be back in the summer to, uh, yeah, to yeah, sit on the, sit on the terrace and have a come beer. again. Um, the end of the summer when we're fully open and everything's growing and we'll do the tour again yeah, and let, let's see how it's changed that's probably yeah, best be really and then I can show you all the stuff growing for real as yeah. opposed to yeah, yeah, pretending. Would grow. Yeah. Yeah. alright <laughs> we'll do it on video okay thanks Darren appreciate your time my Cheers. pleasure so what do you think 
Did you learn something new? Were you surprised by how much goes on at a country hotel that you may never realize? Are you inspired to plant a Christmas tree or grow an orchard or hang out with some bees? Yeah, probably not easy for most of us unless you happen to have a few spare acres kicking around. But you can at least chuck down a packet of summer wild seeds for less than a quid and create your own mini natural space of happiness. Now, as always, links through to the website and Darren's profile are all on the show notes that accompany this episode via humansofhospitality.co.uk. And that's also the place to get in touch with me for any recommended guests or ideas or simply to tell me that you're listening. You can also sign up for the spam-free once-a-week newsletter where I will send you an email every Monday lunchtime letting you know about that week's guests and popping useful links straight into your inbox to save you going off hunting. You can even make a financial donation to keep this podcast on the air via the website. Just hit the Patreon or PayPal button and follow your nose. And as I said at the start, don't forget that review. Okay, that's it for this week, but I'll be back next Monday morning with a brand new episode. Have a great week. Cheers.